Welcome to episode six of the Fight Over Flight podcast. We're so excited to be back, and it's our first interview. I'm excited to announce, I'm honored to announce that it's my mother, Kimberly Roman. She's going to be talking about getting over childhood abuse, defeating cancer three times, and getting over a loss of a loved one. While dealing with depression, dealing with being in a blender of emotions, she's really diving in deep. She's being completely honest and completely transparent. I know you're going to enjoy it. You're going to love her. God bless you all. See you soon. Fight Over Flight podcast. We're back and I'm excited Finally. to share. Yeah, After I'm, a little hiatus. That's right. <laughs> and um, I'm excited. This is my gift to my hero, to the most important person to me in the world. My mother, you know, when we started this podcast, I wanted to make it a interview-based podcast. And I know yeah. Angel wanted the same thing. We both want this kind of interview-based, not really fully topic, but we want to hear the stories of resilient people. And we want to hear the stories of how they got through the tragedy and how they overcame it. And mm -hmm. I couldn't think of anyone else that is more resilient than my mother. So this <laughs> is my mother, Kimberly Malta Roman. She's uh, she's going to be telling us about her resiliency and how she made it through. And I know everyone listening is going to be able to impact, be impacted by this. Um, she's going to change your life. So I hope you enjoy this episode. What's up, mom? Say what's up to the listeners. Hey, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Angel. Hello. Hello, my son. Very excited to I be I got to say, I feel like we know each other just because of how much Rob has spoken well about you. And so I'm excited. I'm a little loud. But I, I'm very excited to hear your story directly from you so it's gonna be cool how do you feel i feel really great i yeah. really do i feel good now yeah but, i had like a few you know a couple years that were hard but this like last like eight or nine months mm -hmm. i've been feeling amazing so to give some perspective did rob ask you to to do this were you open to it at first was there hesitation Oh, no, I was very open to it. I was yeah. so proud that you guys were doing this podcast. Yeah. And I definitely wanted to be a part of it because I think it's so important for people not to be embarrassed, but to, for people to share their story. Because if you went through something, you can help other people by making them aware of it. But if you're just embarrassed of it, um, you're hiding things. Right. And I also feel like um, scars mean that you're, you're healed, right? Yes. In, in a metaphorical sense. So when you're ready to talk about something, it's easier to see that people have been through it and have come out the other end in a positive way so awesome yes so we'll um so before we talk about the traumatic experiences and everything so the listeners if they don't know who you are i mean i know they follow me they know who you are yeah. but tell us a little bit about yourself you know you know where are you originally from and you know what do you like to do now for fun i mean so just a little backstory about you okay um i'm from downtown jersey city new jersey um, i moved to hoboken in 1996 because um, I want to raise my son in a good environment. Um, I worked in the social service field for 20-plus years. Um, and Jersey right? City wasn't the city that it is today back then. No, yeah. it was very bad. I remember, like, people in my class weren't allowed to go to my house. Like, I lived wow. in downtown because it was really bad. Oh, wow. But, you know, I enjoyed it. I had great friends. The same friends I grew up with, I'm still friends with now. So that's really a good thing. Right. Um, like I said, I worked 20 plus years in social service. I was always geared towards helping people. I worked in substance abuse programs, ex-offender programs, and the last um, job I had was working for welfare. So what, what was it that inspired you to go into that side of things, you know, where substance abuse is something heavy? That's not something that mm -hmm. everybody's cut out for, really, to be able to help people in those situations. What was it that kind of led you 
to help people there? Well, because of um, where I grew up, mm. there was a lot of um, substance abuse. When I never, like, the only thing I tried when I was younger was, like, weed, you know? Mm. I mean, never did anything. But so many of my friends passed away, mm. um, got into problems with drugs. So I really, like, wanted to help people. Right. I didn't want to judge them. I wanted to help them because I knew that they had a disease. Right. And there's a big stigma, even up until maybe... 10 years ago, right? There's a, a big stigma around substance abuse, especially opioids, you know? Yeah. The, I mean, back in the 80s, there was the big crack epidemic. So there's a lot of stuff that was going on that people almost shunned people away instead of being able to kind of have them come towards them and help them, right? Yes, because they didn't want to accept that it's a disease. And it is right. just like maybe um, 30 years ago, people who had breast cancer did not want to talk about it because it was right. seen... Like, oh, it's too dirty, can't talk about breasts, you know, and people didn't want to talk about addiction. And now that it's happening across everywhere in America, now people are willing to talk about it. Right. This right. is this is coming from someone that she didn't even drink growing up. Like, yeah. she has a glass of wine and she's like, woo, she's like, oh, woo, woo. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so she's like completely against, like, yeah. all substance. She yeah. really is, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so you get put in that, you put yourself into that situation where you're helping people that are that are going through kind of that crisis. Where does that lead you from there? Um, well, before I started working with um, substance abuse, I worked for city welfare as an investigator. Mm -hmm. I was like 22 years old. Um, and I also worked volunteering. I used to volunteer with AIDS babies in medical center where you went and you held them. Mm -hmm. And oh, wow. a lot of them were substance abusers. So that kind of um, got me in the door. When I went on my first interview in New York, it was for a program and I had like no experience but because I was so passionate about it, she said, I think my friend is hiring, who is from Binding Together, and we're going to call you back. I'm going to call her. I never thought I would get that phone call, but I actually did get the phone call, and I became an outreach coordinator for them. And I went to, like, almost every state prison in New York State, Sing Sing. Um, they went to Clinton, Rikers, everywhere. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And, and what age did you have, Rob? Or where, was this before or after Rob? Um, this was after I had Robert. I had okay. Robert in 1991. Okay. Yeah. Were you 28, 29? No. <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, yeah, I was, um, I want to be 20. delicate about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like 25. I didn't go ahead. Oh, you know, yeah, my father 26. was 30. My yeah, father was 30. 30. Yeah, your father was 30. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, it's funny because, um, you know, I chose the law enforcement field because I always saw my mother growing up helping people. She, she, she completely helped people. And I was like, how do I, and she always taught me, you know, put people's needs before your others, serve people, help them, be there for them. And I always saw that people would just gravitate towards my mother. And because people just, I always be like, why are people coming up to you? I mean, I remember her friend, it's funny, her friend would say that they'd be like in the women's bathroom at a club uh -huh. in like their 20s. Wow. And women would just go up to her and start crying and just talk to her. Wow. Yeah. So it, just, was a, it was a calling. Yeah. Yeah, really it definitely it was. Yeah. it was a calling. Like when um, the first time, which later on I guess we'll get into it, um, when I was in my therapist's office, my grandma used to take me to, I was about nine years old, mm. and the therapist said, your granddaughter doesn't need to come here anymore because she's taking my patients. I would, like, <laughs> sit there in the waiting room and be like, what's wrong? How can I help you? Like, you know, right. pretend I was a doctor. Wow. Okay, so the experiences of, like, people coming up to you and, and almost, you know, pouring out their hearts to you, how much did that impact you? When, when it came to what was going on next in your life, what was like the next phase or chapter in your life? Um, you mean with that cancer? Yeah, I mean, we can go into that. So yeah, like I'll, I actually, so it's funny because 
and you're going like right where I wanted to go. Oh, um, so basically, you know, people look at you and they say, okay, if, if anyone knows my mother, you know, she's extremely optimistic. She's very helpful. She's always trying to, to be there for others. But, you know, that comes at a high cost too. Right. You know, your own mental stability, your own, you know, and, and, and also when people are extremely optimistic and people look at the light, like if people look at the world as it's so beautiful mm. versus chaotic, people think, oh, that person was given everything. Well, that person's never experienced anything in your life. How can you mm. be so optimistic? So I want to talk about, you know, I want to ask you now, I just kind of want to dive right into the purpose of why you're here and, you know, your story. I know your story and I know I want everyone else to know your story, but you being so optimistic, you being you know, the light of the world, you know, give us your traumatic experiences because it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows for you. It's not like you were born and had, you were raised in this big, huge house, both parents lived this luxurious life, never had issues. No, you had a ton of issues and it's what creates the resiliency in you because you had all this, all these issues, all these problems going on, but you're still the light of the world. So how are you still the light of the world through those experiences, which we'll get into later, but can you give me the three most traumatic experiences in your life? Kind of just give me the three that you can think of, and then we'll just dive into them. Okay. Um, like uh, being a victim of child abuse, um, my dad dying, and cancer. So let's start from the beginning. So victim of child abuse. I mean, I don't know. You know, this is this is a an open, basically, uh, very transparent. So be as transparent as you want. So you can just start right. talking about right. it. Right. Well, um, like my closest friends, like when I was younger, they all know my story. They know that I was a victim. But a lot of people that I went to school with or me, they never had any idea that I went through a hard time. They were, because I lived with my grandparents, they raised me and my dad, and I was like, what you would say, kind of spoiled, so they thought I always had an easy life. But um, I lived with my mother until I I I was like eight or nine years old, and um, she was physically abusive to me. And you know, she was mentally abusive. Um, Thank God my my father, and my grandparents got me away from them. But back then, they didn't really want to give custody to just a man. Mm. So my grandparents wound up getting custody of me. And somehow, I don't know how my grandmother, she was just amazing. She's like, we have to take you to counseling. That's where like that story right. came in, where I was trying to help patients. And I went for a year. And I always thought like that was it. That was the end of it. I dealt with it. You know, I even remember telling the counselor, I'm like, um, he goes, you know, I don't want you to think it's your fault. And I'm like, I don't think it's my fault. I think there is something wrong with her. And that's like from learning from school and from with other clients, that's very rare. Yes. Because most people think it's their fault. But somehow inside me, like I knew it wasn't. And like to this day, I always felt very close to God. And after my mom would hit me, like I would like feel this presence touch me I can't even explain it but like we weren't my grandparents weren't allowed to talk about God to me or whatever mm. and I just knew that it was God I felt it and I just always felt it every night but once I you know my grandparents got custody of me and my dad I didn't feel it as strong but I realize now it was because like God was like ra- literally wrapping his arms around me protecting me like, no one could change my mind about that because it was so strong. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a scripture that says, um, 
even if your mother and father shall forsake you with everything, the Lord will, will, will lift you up. You know, and I think there's a big correlation between people that may feel alone when they're young and their closeness to God just because of that, because it's literally your most vulnerable state. Right. It's the most possible, most vulnerable possible place you could be in life. Mm-hmm. And I think that in those times, it's a lot, um, it's a lot easier, I think, to, to be close to God in those times because mm-hmm. it's what you have. It's the foundation that you have for yourself. Um, so that, that led you to a place where you were kind of um, predisposition to positivity, it feels like. Like you, you were more leaning towards being positive in every aspect than most people would be, right? Because you said it was rare. What was, what was the therapist or counselor's reaction when you were like... Uh, he he was surprised I said and I remember him yeah. and like I don't remember much but I remember him telling my grandmother she's very rare because she doesn't think it's her fault she doesn't hate her mother she said something's wrong with her mother wow. and it's very rare but it was like something inside me knew like and I really believe that that was God so like, how I do really we believe it how do they because now you, let's look at the listeners and a lot of people that suffer from a lot of things going on in the world relates back to their, their childhood. That's like what a therapist always brings up, mm-hmm. what happened in your childhood. Mm-hmm. So how do we break the rare? Like how do you, so if right now someone's listening that was abused as a child, because you, know, you were abused physically, you were abused mentally, until you were nine or 10 years old. I remember you telling me, I know you didn't dive into it, but I know you give me permission to say, you, know, you were burned, you weren't allowed to read, you didn't go to school, you, know, you, were, you were deprived of all these things. How does someone that's deprived of all of that right now, maybe they are a teenager and they're listening, or maybe they're an adult and they can't get over it. How do they become, how do they break through that? How do they look at the world optimistically like you did? How do they not become a victim? Well, um, I was lucky because I had my grandparents and my dad. Like, they were a very loving force, so they grabbed hold of me. And I was lucky because, you know, God grabbed hold of me. But the thing is also to have, I had gratitude like, instead of focusing on everything bad that happened, but me not having a mother, because back then it was so embarrassing to say in school, people would be like, what happened to your mother? Right. Like, if you didn't have a father, that was normal, right. but not to have a mother, it was just like, right. like, that's why I used to always lie and say she died, because I didn't want to get into full long story. Um, so I've always, like, started focusing on, well, I'm so lucky to have my grandparents. I'm so lucky to have my dad. And that... It magnified the good, and it made the bad, it minimized it. It seems insignificant almost. Right. Yeah. So that became, like, my focus of how lucky I was. So, like, people, you know, there's always something, like, good going on, even if you don't think there's people that have, like, horrific lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. But somewhere, at some point, it's going to get better. And just that little light, you have to, like, hold on to and believe with all your might that that, that light's going to get brighter and brighter for you. Wow. Mm, I like that, the gratitude, right? Yeah. That's like I a mean, foundation for, for resiliency, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because one thing that a lot of people that have been through something uh, traumatic and have come out the other end even stronger, that's the one thing they all have in common is the ability to take every situation and pick the good out of it and to hold on to that, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's a skill. I really do think it's a skill, something that you have to adjust to and you have to build that muscle almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because that's, I think, a, a lot of people going through problems in their adulthood, in their early adulthood is comes from 
either lack of parents or the mm-hmm. abuse of a parent or right. so, something similar. And it's good that they get to know that gratitude will take them a long way because when you're in a hopeless state, mm-hmm. you, you kind of think that you know you, you're ho- since you're hopeless, you think there's no way out. Right. But th- you know, thank you for sharing that because yeah, and it becomes increasingly easier to think there's no way out the more hopeless you get or the more the, the more difficult your circumstance That's right. is. Mm-hmm. That's right. So to, to flip that on its head, it's a it's a skill. Like it's, I said. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so funny because I, people think that because she's like the most. I think there's uh, the cops are outside. Yeah, <laughs> the cops, the ambulance. We're in Patterson right yeah, now. Yeah, the yeah. PR factory. So you got excuses. Um, yeah, let's let it go by a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like we played it, right? I yeah. Know, like that um, but th- it's just it's incredible because people think that she just had the easiest life and i'm like well i mean just because of on the, her attitude you know on the surface you do seem like oh you know i'm just positive about everything yeah. which automatically makes people think oh, you haven't gone through right, anything right, know, what do amazing. you know about being positive i got bills to pay yep. but but no there's there's always an underlying story to everybody and i think it's important to remember that everybody has a struggle that they've been through some way more difficult than others and i think it's important that those people that have those difficult experiences really come out and share you know because yeah. it helps it really does help and get therapy and that's yeah. like that's a big thing like my grandmother knew and um and i always like stayed actively involved in therapy even when that ended later on um it's very important to get therapy because years of damage especially at such a young age it's Mm. going to have an effect on you but you know what you could control it you could go to counseling and it helps it helps you identify wait a minute i'm doing this because of this right you know so you're not sentenced to a life of um the horrible life because you abuse a child but you're going to abuse your child i never hit my son you know what i mean mm. you're not sentenced to that type of life but mm. you do need you, you just can't do it on your own you do need therapy you need to be in a group if you don't have insurance there's um groups that meet for people that were abused when they were young and right. they're really helpful Wow. So I think that's such a good point. Therapy has been something that's been a big topic lately, just in in pop culture in general. Um, Mental health has been a huge topic, and it seems like less and less people are scared to come out with their stories, which I think is a really good thing. And it's easier for people to say, hey, I need need therapy. Yeah, and this is what the the Fight Over Flight podcast is. It's like a peer-to-peer network where you can reach out to us. You know, you're going to be able to connect with, um, you know, my mother if you you need to ask any questions or any other guests. You're going to be able to connect because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bridge the gap between you thinking that asking for help is weak and showing you that, no, it's actually a strength. Um, And so... But also, I, Mom, I'd like you to, to touch on um, it not being just because you're positive one day, it may come back. Like, it may surface in a depression or an anxiety, and then how do you deal with it then? Because, uh, you know, the traumatic experiences, you know, when you got cancer, so we'll mm-hmm. go over the next one, when you got cancer and when you lost your father, it was a crazy amount of events, and all of that stuff starts to resurface. So if, right. can you talk about now, you know, about that? Well... He's exactly right. When I got cancer, um, that's really, even though I thought I had put all those issues to bed, Mm. um, no, I didn't, because when I got cancer, it showed me. I was used to being, like, very in control of my life. Everything was, like, the way it was supposed to go. Um, You know, even with my son, like, being in school, taking him to baseball, everything, like, I had, like, I thought, like, I was in control of everything. Right. Which is definitely not good to do because when an illness happens, 
mm. or that they cancer. I literally was not in control anymore. You know, I, I was told first, uh, January 2016, when I got cancer. What kind of you, cancer? Colorectal cancer, stage one. You'll wow. never get it again. You have nothing to worry about. Mm. Not by one doctor, not by two, but by three. Right. By August of that year, it came back again. Wow. Then the following year, it was back again. Wow. So that, like, shakes your confidence because now it's like, I didn't have any control over my health. I was in the hospital 22 times in less than three years because I had obstructions, uh, antibiotic-resistant infections, the regular surgery. I had um, an elastomy bag. I had a reversal. So it was like everything was so out of control. I didn't know from one day to another day, am I going to be sick? Am I going to be in the hospital? I couldn't make plans. Everything felt so out of control that I got so depressed. Right. You know, and um, through therapy, I learned that's because I'm, like, used to controlling things. And now I have control over nothing. Like, my father died. Mm. Not only was he just, you know, people lose their parents, but my dad was my hero. My dad was my rescuer. My dad right. saved my life. So here I'm at a point where my... Where you need him most. Where I need him, like, and my life is at risk. Right. And my hero, like, to him, is my savior. He dies, right. you know. And... um it kind of, if it wasn't for my son, like, really, it would, would have been easy to give up. Mm. Because sometimes, like, you go through so much and the pain and the... Right, that's what I was kind of uh, wondering. There's always a point, so one of my siblings has cancer. She has breast cancer. She's had Sorry. it twice. And there's always a point where you hear the, where you hear the news... And then there's a, p- a point where you almost accept and learn to cope and do whatever you need to do to get out of it. But in between that is a dark, dark area. For some people, it lasts a short time. Some people, it lasts a super long time. What was that like for you, that little season of, like, between hearing it and accepting it? Um, <clears throat> it, was a, it was a roller coaster because yeah. I would think, okay, I'm going to beat this, and then it will come back. Or, you know, I'm not going to be in the hospital anymore. And, like, literally practically every month I was in the hospital wow. um, from something else. And, like, I went to, like, so many different doctors, and there were doctors, like, one doctor, and he knows, like, told me I needed what's called a Barbie cut, basically removing my colon, my rectum, and I would have to wear a colostomy bag for life. Wow. And um, my son said... You know, I told him, honestly, you know, you can't expect me to do this. Like, at that point, like, I want, didn't want to live, course, you know? Yeah. And then my son was like, but then I thought about that selfish, you know what I mean? I'm so lucky to have life. And my son said, Mom, let's get a second opinion. I got a second opinion. They were able to do the surgery with um, no problem. You know, I needed to like back temporarily. Right. Yeah, it was, it was like, like a fifth, fifth opinion. <laughs> but, you know, you have to do your research. Everybody do your research. Don't trust, like, one doctor. That's, like, my biggest thing to wow. tell you. Like, do your research. And the reason why it was such a roller coaster was, and my son was, like, against this from the start because he knows um, – um, I'm very sensitive, and I joined all these cancer groups on Facebook. Right. And people were dying. People who were people who you were listening to talk about this on the phone were dying, or they were like saying they were cancer-free, and then a year later they were dead. And 
When they tell you that was devastating to me, it was just devastating. It was like feeling like a punch in the gut every time I would log on, and I would see that. Even though I never met some of these people physically in person. Yeah, you still feel a kinship. Yeah, and I just felt like so connected, you know, and that that was like the roller coaster. And my son was like, Mom, you need to get out of the groups. And he kept telling me, my therapist was like, yeah, you need to get out of the group. And once yeah. I got out of the group, yeah, I felt guilty because I'm like, no, no, but they helped me, you know. Mm-hmm. But some of them I got out of. But, of course, I have friends from the group on Facebook. And um, so far, 11 from November to now have passed away. So sorry. So now you're for that, because I I know you want to be in the group because you want to be an arm for them. You want to help them. You want to be a shoulder for them. But, you know, let's so the listeners understand it's good to help people. But there's nothing more important than your health first. So if you're not in a situation where, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're not in a situation where you're still struggling and your your mental health is is at stake and there's just you're in this roller coaster, you can't hop on another roller coaster as well. You have to kind of get yourself grounded first, get you healthy, surround yourself overflow. Right. Surround yourself with with positive people, with people of light with people who are doing things in your life and this is i'm speaking from experience because i would see her go through this i would see her you know severely depressed of the people passing away and Mm. this and she just felt obligated to to still be part of it and you know i feel horrible for everyone passing away but the thing is that it it would be like me following a facebook group of just seeing like you know, say there was a Facebook group created of the death of the world or major car accidents, right. and you just see it all the time. If I'm not in a, if I'm not in a place to help someone, mm-hmm. then that's going to destroy me. So I would tell her, look, we need to surround you around people of light, people of of, go, of going through good things, people of, of positivity, like people who are moving forward in their life, just so you can now break out of your storm. You can get through that, and then once you get to the other side, now you can you can reach back and start pulling people up. So I. Actually, I'm curious about your opinion because I agree with that. Yeah. I think sometimes you get oversaturated with the things that are are an immediate conflict with you, right? So it's like I need to help myself by helping these people, but that is in turn affecting me. Um, but w- with my sister, what I've noticed is that I don't know if it's for everybody that she's surrounded by, but a lot of people, when when they're hanging out, it's not necessarily always helpful to talk about it, right? Like, it's it's kind of helpful or therapeutic, and I'm interested to know your take on this. Um, it's therapeutic to almost pretend it's not happening sometimes. Yeah. Is that... Yes, sometimes it's, it's very therapeutic to, like, just pretend it's not happening. Right. And, um, you know, like, like what he was saying, if you, the way that a monk explained this to me, if every time I did something, I would get two broken arms because I'm trying to help somebody lift something, but I keep breaking my arms, mm-hmm. the answer isn't to keep go helping and breaking my arms. The answer is to get your arms stronger so you can help them. That's a mm-hmm. really insightful answer. Yeah. 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 So um, that's what I'm doing now because wow. they do want to help. But being like so emotional is not helping anybody. It's not helping me. It's not helping them. You know. Right. And then sometimes... Like, everybody wants to talk about the cancer, but, you, you know, like yeah. you said, it's just you don't yeah. want to talk about and it, And I think you know? that's something for people 
who know somebody with cancer to take note of you know mm. there's it doesn't always have to be a how are you feeling mm. you know how's everything how's right. your right. it can it can just be a regular conversation or a regular interaction you can fight you can bicker because that's what makes life life yep. and if you're not doing those things it's almost like you're removing those elements of life yep like right. i was uh in the hospital recently for my epilepsy which is why we didn't record for a little while mm. And um, just laying there and like my brother and my mom are there and, you know, my aunt, uncle, um, a lot of it for me, just the recovery process was just like having people just stop giving me that sympathy look, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or like, I'm sorry, right. or how are you feeling? Do you need, I just like, just let me kind of take my own power again, right. you right. know? Exactly. Like joke around, right. laugh. Right. Could, you know, Rob visited me and, you yeah. know, we were yeah. cracking jokes. And, yeah, and it's funny. Like, the first thing I said to you was, if you wanted to get out of the podcast, you could have done something <laughs> less dramatic than having yeah. an epilepsy attack. <laughs> you know, like, and then he took my picture. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, and that's what I right. wanted. And, and, you know, mom, you could give, you know, insight to this because it's actually the follow-up question is, you know, when, when this was happening to you, you know, what advice can you give someone that's in the blender, right? The blender is just whipping you around. Life's whipping you around. Yeah, colon cancer three times. The the surgeries after colon cancer was even more of a of a of a hassle because you had to go through more stuff. So you're in the blender of life. Your dad passes away. Mm-hmm. Blender. You know, you're going through severe depression. You don't even want to walk outside. Blender. You know, how do, how what's your advice to to someone to say how do they how do you get out of the blender? Like give them like a guide. My advice is the most important thing is talking um, to someone, even if, like, there's hotlines, there's cancer hotlines, talking to someone. But the worst mistake I made was I stopped doing things for myself. Even something as simple, because I was so depressed, as brushing my hair. My two friends Mm. had to come to the hospital, and, like, it took them two and a half hours to get the knots out of my hair to brush my own hair. Right. And... You know, what... Yeah, just pull the mic a little bit. Sorry. There you go. What you... um, The physical therapist... I've been in physical therapy now for like eight months, and I finally have my energy back. And he told me what you work so hard to get, it's so easy to lose. So if you get sick again, still try to move, still walk, still do this. And I think it's that time in the in the podcast where I bring up Jordan Peterson because mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do every episode. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yes. He says do. something um, <laughs> really insightful along those lines when somebody's um, dealing with something traumatic or they're in recovery or they're depressed or even elderly. You know, that's what he said. Um, the biggest mistake you can make for them is doing things for them if they can do it for themselves. You want to mm-hmm. help them do it, but not necessarily um, do everything for them because then you're removing the responsibility over their own lives. Yes. That's that's mm-hmm. so insightful that you bring that up because I, I think, and, I, and I've seen it um, a lot with, with different people that I've, you know, interacted with. A lot of the kind of deteriorating of their own hope Mm-hmm. It comes from that. It's like, okay, I just don't need to do anything. I can just rely on others. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it's it's true. It's really true because, like, I know because I did it to myself. And I got, got myself to a point where I couldn't even walk, like, a half a block without being out of breath. Because wow. I just was, like, staying home. I was depressed. Like, people were doing things for me because... They were used to because I was always in the hospital. So right. I didn't take, like, even if I can only just brush my hair, I should have been able to do that because that would have helped me. You right. know what I'm saying? So your advice to people is 
as like much control as you can take. Take take it. Like if all you could do is like just brush your hair one time, do it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like each day try to do a little more. Because like like what my therapist said, the physical therapist, it's so easy to lose what you worked for. Wow. And it's, it's something like, like he was talking about Jordan Peterson and some it's kind of like a mantra of the podcast is that just get incrementally better every day. Right. Yes. And that's yeah. the, the the progression of life. Right. right. Cuz if yeah, if you're not making forward progress then you're re- you're regressing. Yep. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. There's so no you, neutrality really in life. Yeah, so you think that's important like when you're going through cancer or when you're going through whatever whatever your whatever situation is. is. Very very important. Like I was just hospitalized in August like one time in Hoboken for a week and then I went like the following week I was in Inglewood. Mm. And this time I didn't stop like wow. doing what I was doing. Like as soon as I came home, I went walking. I went out with my friends. I mm. went to New York. Like I, I didn't because I had that in my head. No matter what happens, I have to move. No right. matter what happens, and I have you, to like. And you do gotta stuff. understand, she's a little bit modest because now she's like a psycho. <laughs> so she didn't want to walk a block for like two or three years. She didn't want to. I would have to go over the house and say, okay, like we're gonna walk a half a and block. And now you're a party your girl. <laughs> now all she does is go to Trader Joe's and she wants to yeah. walk. And it's pouring rain out and she's walking in the rain. And mm-hmm. but it's like that. It's that perspective shift yeah. that she said, I'm gonna enjoy. Yeah. This and and um, something we spoke about a lot was depositing these good days in the bank. Mm. Yeah. So if you have a good day like today, we get to that's, spend time together. That's interesting. Deposit it, deposit, it, deposit. It. Because you know what? Let's we know what we like to say on the podcast: the storm is coming. Right. So when the storm comes again for her and she has to go to the, to the hospital again, she can now make those withdrawals. Wow. Say, okay, you know, I had a good day. I had a good day. I know if I beat this, I know when I beat this. No matter how long it takes, I'm going to get to deposit more of these days. That's amazing. I've yeah, never heard that. Yeah, we talk yeah. about that a lot. Yeah, so he we, told we me that. And that's what I use. And I keep in my head when I was in the hospital last yeah. time, I used all those deposits that I made. You know? A little bank account of positivity. Yep, yeah. That's right, man. Because yeah. life's about it, you know the experiences. So, Mom, um, I want to ask you, because that's kind of like how, how you overcame the trauma in your lives by support systems, by therapists, by moving forward in progression, by Doing things that you love. But having an amazing son. He's all right. So, like, that's great because that's, like, so these are the, the tools for the tool that the people suffering from traumas can put in their tool bag of resiliency, right? We'll call it the resiliency tool bag, and mm. they can pull the tools out. Now, um, I want to dive just a little deeper, if that's okay with you. Is it okay? Yeah. Good, okay. Okay, so what was your biggest mistake or you would say mistake or failure, you know, either during or after your trauma. Like this is something that you want to tell the listeners to avoid. I know so, you. I know you touched a little bit on it with um, what we were just talking about. Yep. Um, but is there is there something else that kind of sticks out to you? Like, what do you want anybody in the blender to avoid doing besides like the Facebook groups, like b- being around, you know, just that kind of environment? What What would you say to avoid as well? Um, getting to deep into your own head like wow. really i think that's a big thing just constantly thinking like oh you know well what does it matter this could come back or this could happen or that could happen constantly being afraid like anytime i would get like a pain here i'm like oh my god is the cancer back mm. oh my god am i gonna have another blockage like just being so far into my head that it's not good right. so i started like focusing on okay like what it just like stupid things like what can i like cook for dinner or um 
even though going to a doctor's appointment is whatever, but it's making me healthy. So I started looking at things instead of like, oh my God, I got to go to another doctor's appointment. Because I go like two or three times a week. But oh, I'm I, like, I feel you there. Yeah, I'm I like, oh. But now I look at it, it's like, yay, I get to go to a doctor's appointment and be healthy. Oh. You know what I mean? So it's like my perspective, the way I look at things, like it's changing. It's like, really interesting how, for the most part, it's it's easier to take a negative perspective for most people. It's, I find it really fascinating because you see stories like yours and for the most part, it's those little decisions that make all the difference in the end. Mm -hmm. Just saying, oh, I get to go to the doctor. I get to go out to the grocery mm -hmm. store. Those are huge victories. Right, yeah. yeah. And it is, and it's like I'm so excited. I'm like, oh my God, I walked, or oh my God, I cooked <laughs> in. Like, and it sounds like people are probably like, wow, big deal. Yeah. But for me, it was such a mm -hmm. big deal because I hadn't done it. You know, like I was very active before, then I got sick. So I went from being very active, doing everything, going dancing all the time, to doing absolutely nothing, staying in my house. It just, it was horrible. Wow. And now I'm back to like, you know, doing things. It took time, but, you know, I had a test, I would say, by like the last two hospitalizations wow. and I still went out and I still mm -hmm. did what I had to do as soon as I came home. So, so. You, you're where uh, Rob gets his dance moves from. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yes, right. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great because that's, that's important. I think that people need to know that there are mistakes that are going to be made, mm. you know, mm -hmm. in the road through the storm. But, you know, you can overcome them. And, and it's, it's something I, I just I love what you said earlier today when you said, um, you know, it's not a life sentence. Like if, you know, you get abused as a child or if you have cancer or if you're depressed or whatever, it's not a life sentence. Even if you're terminally ill, it's not a life sentence right. because if you have six months to live, I mean, I can't even imagine being in that situation, but you can still have so many memorable times. And, you know, to talk about one of your other traumas, was, we share the trauma, we share all your traumas, but um, the one, you know, me losing my grandfather, you know, her yeah. father, you know, he had like 10 different cancers wow. and, you know, basically there was a time where we knew the end was near and we, our favorite days of the year were always Thanksgiving and always Christmas because we would like make it a huge event. Yeah. You know, we go down there and, you know, I remember like Italian it being, from Hoboken, yeah, you know? <laughs> you know, and I remember it being like, um, you know, like us just knowing that this most likely is going to be our last Thanksgiving and this most likely is going to be our last Christmas. You know, he had brain surgery, and we were like, you know, can we, can we, can he make it past Christmas? Right. And you know, he passed away January eleventh, twenty seventeen. So wow. we had New Year, we had Thanksgiving, we had Christmas, and he was so sick he couldn't even really eat during Thanksgiving. But we had such a good time, mm -hmm. yeah. and he knew, like, he knew more than anyone else that it was. I, I know that like the end was near, but we had such an amazing Thanksgiving. Right. Like we, ate, like he watched us eat food. You know, we, we, we watched football together. We had such an amazing time. And then Christmas, we had such an amazing time and we laughed and, you know, and then a month later, he passed less than a month later, you know, Christmas and, um, you know, January 11th, you know, he passed away and it was just like, the perfect it's not a life sentence. It was the perfect closure. Yeah. And it's yeah. just not a light. Like yeah. you, you have a, an incredible opportunity, no matter what you're going through to, to to just to just win right. to just win in, in in this life and it's you know it's it's rough but um 
Okay, yeah, it's a little. <laughs> Let me, uh, yeah, yeah, you could do it. Um, a little <laughs> that, that's probably this is probably going to be your answer, your your father. But who do you think, looking back hindsight, would be the most influential person going through all these kind of difficult times? And we can take a break if you want. No, yeah. no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, let's get like a. I like thinking of my dad. As long as I don't have mascara running down my face, <laughs> oh, I'm good. good. It's a, part of life. Yeah, maybe like mm-hmm. a one. Maybe like person you don't know, so like a famous person, maybe in a book or something, and oh, then maybe one. one or one or two people that you personally know. Um, the person I definitely know, it's like, um, it's a tie between my grandparents, my dad, and my son, mm-hmm. because they've all had, like, when I was like on the edge of a cliff, they pulled me back wow. in one way or another. Right. So it's tied because with three of them, definitely. Right. Um. For someone that I don't know, that's like uh, famous or whatever. Um, Cardi B, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would have to be um, the Dalai Lama because Amazing. he's like um, about kindness and peace, and like, he believes in a positive mindset. And he shows right. how, which I've done a lot of meditation and has worked, especially before surgery. Right. You know, not like deep meditation, but twenty minutes. Yeah. Of you know, like, because you're laying there on the table, you're waiting for them to get ready, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I'm just, like, sitting there thinking, and that's, like, really helped me. And Becoming present to the moment. Right. And just, yeah, accepting kind of the universe and everything. Right. Yeah, of course. And help me, like, what my father is passing, knowing, you know, like, that it, because it's, um, we're all going to die, right? Mm-hmm. But my father's death, you know, thanks to his wife, too, um, we were there for it, like, I was sitting on the chair. My son was sleeping oh, behind wow. his medical bed like because um, his wife had it moved to the house. Okay. And when he went to sleep that night, you know, like, I remember, um, you know, we had to give him morphine drops. And, like, he was like, oh, like, he didn't want him like that. I just want to make you feel better, you know. And um, he looked, like, a little bit uncomfortable. And I remember him looking straight ahead, like, if he saw something and he kept blinking, and I went and I sat down on the, you know, the chair, the recliner, and I fell asleep. And oh, sorry, okay. <laughs> and I fell asleep. And when I woke up a few hours later, I could feel in the room. I could feel it that he had already passed. I knew it before I turned around. Oh. But it was so beautiful. He was like turned towards like, like my son was here and I was here, and before he was towards the door he was turned towards facing us Mm -hmm. like his body position and he looked so peaceful that it just it helped so much so every time when I get sad or I think about it I think about how peaceful like that moment was like he was such a good man that he died such a peaceful death uh, surrounded by his loved ones right it's a it's a blessing really to be able to go out like that yep yes It is, yeah. yeah. It just it was like made me so happy because it's like from the type of life that he led and what he did. You know, he yeah. was like a great dad. The I was most amazing born. man ever. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah. It's that's a crazy emotional topic. Um. Of course. Especially for me. So I'm gonna just go next. <laughs> yeah. Um. So okay. So we, we. You know. Now that we have everything, and you know, now you're. I mean. Oh, by the way, she booked. A flight oh, with yeah. my with my aunt to Italy. She's never been. She's, leaving she's never been anywhere in the world, like, <laughs> like out no. of the country. And oh, you're gonna love I've Italy. never been to Europe, and she's like, "Oh, we booked our trip to Italy." Her and my aunt. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're so going now she's April. just yeah, she's just she's fully living life to the max, and it, and it is yeah. amazing because yeah. to see for three years, 
the, the you know the blender that she was in. It was it was very difficult to think that I was gonna lose my mom and my grandfather in the same year, because um, that and then you know to get real that that's a real thing. I mean, right. if you know someone that's suffering, if you know someone that is going through cancer, going through depression, going through you know anything that's severely impacting their life, you know you need to be there for them. Don't take it for granted. Don't say, oh, you know what, we got into a fight, you know, whatever it is. You need to be there for them. You need to be at their side. You need to get them through the storm. You need to help them because you may not get another another chance. And, and, and I thought I was going to lose my mom, I, you know, before I lost my grandfather. I knew that was coming, and I said, I can't lose both of them. And it was just, you know, I wanted to spend every waking moment with them. And you have to sacrifice. You know, you have to, you, have to, you know, not go out or not go on vacations and not do things just to be by their side because it's very important because – if they take their life, what could you have done? You know, if the person, your coworker, your family member, if right now you think they're on the edge, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Be brave and help them out. Right. Going the extra mile is never, is never, um, it never goes in vain. It's just something that you should always be willing to do for somebody that seems like they're going through a hard time or actually is mm-hmm. yep. really going through a hard yep. time. It, it's never wasted. Yep. Yeah, you exactly. never regret. Yeah, you yeah. never, you never regret, regret it. Like, I never regret that only time I spent with my dad. Yep. Never regret right. it. And he brought up such a good point. Um, if someone is going through cancer, going through a hard time, and even me, someone that's positive, that even my oncologist and my surgeon, they're like, we love you because every time we walked in a room, no matter what, you were smiling. And it was true, I was smiling, but I wasn't smiling on the inside. But somehow he had the, pers- like, he was very perceptive and he mm. knew me. Like, he knew that I wasn't happy. And things, like, you know, it, first of all, you're on pain medication. I was on lead pain medication. And the other medication, it makes you, like, kind of, and plus what you're going through makes you, like, can I say bitchy? Yeah, whatever okay. you want. Okay, well, that's what it makes you. So I would, like, argue with him and just, like, call him with the stupid, crazy things, like, mm. argue with him. And, you know, he'd have to deal with that. And I feel so bad that I put him through that. But, like, I literally was, like, like crazy. You know what I mean? Like, wow. when I, like, had the bag um, and I woke up from surgery, it was an emergency surgery. It was the day before of his a sergeant exam. Wow. But he went to passing grade, <laughs> n- number one in the state. Um, I woke up and I seen that back, and I had, like, a nervous breakdown. They had wow. to give me a shot. And then the, the, the psychiatrist came and he explained, you have to understand, it's jarring because it's like losing your organ. Yeah. Because now... Like, your outside is on your inside. You know what I mean? Inside and it, on your outside, yeah. It was, and that now, so now, not only do I not have control over, like, the cancer, my Good. body, I literally don't have control over bodily functions. Right. So it was, like, it was just insane, you know? So, um, and then, you know, like, after a while, you know, you get, like, adjusted to it, mm. I would say. So, so it's hard. So for the listeners, then, what... What would you say, how important would you say it is to really head on fight the, the traumatic events of your of your life or the things that are happening to you as opposed to kind of taking flight, which is the mantra of the podcast, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Fight over flight. Yep. Um, how important do you think that is as a priority to your day-to-day mental health? It's, it's very important. It's very important to fight. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm going to fight the cancer. It's an enemy. Like first, things you have to embrace. Okay, I have to embrace, yes, I have to cancer you have to embrace yes oh, i was a victim of childhood i have to embrace that there was death you know that I lost people i love sometimes you have to embrace it 
in order to fight it. Right. That's you know? that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I never thought of it that way. It's true. Yeah. So that's what I do. Like I embrace it and I accept it and then I can fight. Yeah. I think that's such a positive and inspiring note to I think yeah, you know start yeah. to wrap this up yep. in yep. I, I just really want to thank you for just being able to share all that so openly I know it wasn't hard, easy for either no. of you but I try to hold my composure because she starts crying when I start oh, so, no, man. so I didn't want to get that trickle no, and I want to thank you guys because I think what you're doing is so important thank it's you. like really important and anybody from your podcast um, that wants to reach out to me, I'm like the resource queen. Okay. You oh, know, she is the resource queen. Make your plug. Plug. She's resource. Yeah, so. um, I'm on Facebook, Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E, Malta, M-A-L-T-A. You can just send me an inbox, and if you need any help or you need any direction, I'll be more than happy to do it for you. Is there an email maybe you can give to, or are those kind of private for you? Um, yeah, you, you could do... Um, With Kimberly, what is it, Kimberly 11... That one, that too. The maybe, maybe she has one. Facebook is she has like fifty emails. Yeah, yeah. the D H A R M A eleven twenty nine at okay. aol.com. Perfect. Thanks again so well, much. Before this we is, end, I'm gonna break. Amazing. I'm gonna break podcast yeah, protocol. Do it. Do it. Give my mother a hug. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, guys, I want you guys to like, share, subscribe to Fight Over Flight. What a beautiful moment! And um, let us know what you guys think of this, honestly, because it's. It's phenomenal to be able to see, you know, relationships connect like this. Thank you guys so much for watching. You want to you say bye? We love you guys. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Thank you.